Scholars Unbound is a bi-monthly podcast or video series that showcases the voices of scholars who know no boundaries when it comes to the pursuit of knowledge. You will hear insights from their experiences as international scholars and how these influence their research, hoping to inspire future scholars to be fearless, global, and unbound. I'm your host, Dalia Simangan. Hi everyone, my guest today is a newly minted doctor, Dr. Anna Alonso. She graduated from the Department of Politics and Social Change at Australian National University, where I met her years ago when we were both PhD <laughs> students. Before coming to ANU for her doctoral studies, she was in Spain for her master's degree and then in Mexico, where she's originally from for her bachelor's degree. I'm so, so happy that she's joining us today, even with her hectic schedule. Thank you for your time, Anna, and congratulations again on your PhD. Oh, thank you so much, Talian. Such a pleasure to be part of this of this project, and thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. My pleasure. So you successfully completed your dissertation about children born uh, during wartime. Um, yeah. I think this research is, you know, it's highly important, but quite under-researched as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing maybe yes. because it's also a sensitive topic. So can you tell us about your doctoral research? Yes. Well, in general, like the research of this kind of, uh, of children is very, uh, is very scant. It, there's a l- very little literature about it. And uh, it's very scant, first of all, because it's very hard to get to them. It's something very sensitive. Uh, there is a lot of um, stigma, a lot of uh, very hard stories to tell there, a lot of secrets. So, and sometimes it's it's better in certain context uh, to not ask too many questions because you can also put in danger their own identities. So it's a little bit, you have to juggle a lot with uh, with several issues while doing the research. Uh, however, I think it's uh, it's very important because you don't know too much about them. You don't know what happened to them, if they, how their life have been. Uh, and so my my doctoral research was about, was about uh, children born of war, uh, uh, children born of violence in Peru and Guatemala. What I focus on how they were present in the narratives of the of the of these two truth commissions the one from guatemala and the one from peru uh, especially in the narratives of sexual violence from women that were uh, raped during the conflict and especially how they appear because if you check the or if you read the uh, the reports of the truth commission they usually appear a lot, not as as the main characters of the story, but as uh, a piece of evidence. So usually the story starts on how the woman was raped and then uh, as a consequence, she had a baby. So they are always just put the as an object and you never know what happened uh, with this child and also what happened in the in his relationship with these women and what happened with the child in, in its community. So there are lots of questions open about them that we don't know. Um, 
So I did an archival research, but I also did interviews. And I basically found that a lot of the stories about them, they stay in the archive. So, and a lot of these stories talk about other ways of how the family reorganized. So the traditional family was not working for them. So a lot of grandparents were, were taking care of the children and these children named them as, as mother and father. And uh, also another, uh, another kind of other, other, other oh, sorry, other children were adopted. Um, and, and also then some, some of them had a lot of troubles of, uh, for their own identity of knowing that they were born of rape and uh, some of them commit suicide or others had a very tough life. But all these different stories challenge the way that they were objectified in the Truth Commission that's supposed to be a mechanism to provide justice, but in this case just became a mechanism that became an obstacle for the children in order to have uh, some justice in their life and uh, yeah, and probably have access to reparations also and a better life probably. This is a, um, very courageous of you, I would say, because just listening from you is quite upsetting. And doing this kind of research for several years, you know, I'm wondering if it has impacted you in, in such a dip such a way so um anyway you don't have to answer that but uh, just listening <laughs> to you is just oh my goodness it's just so difficult it was uh, especially during the interviews i um i found that it was very hard uh once i start to get like um to know them a lot um some of them were children well one was a child born of of, of, of rape but the other were just uh, children that suffer a lot of violence, but they knew stories about these children. Um, and it was very hard to listen to their testimonies. Once I, I was very, I know them, they became my friends in a way. So it was very emotional. Uh, I mean, I was very, I was very happy that they had the confidence to share with them that story with me because it's it's so deep and so personal. It's very it's very hard, but it's I don't know they they provided so I was very proud of that. Uh, but it was very hard to work with it, and I I did have to take uh, sometimes breaks and just try to take care of myself and and also try to. Um, especially now that I am a mother, it's very hard sometimes to not be um, overprotective with my children. Uh, yes, especially now that they are starting with the childcare and the nursery and the kindergarten. Uh, because sometimes I, I, I realize I was starting to get a little bit um, paranoid with sexual violence, I, I can't get assaulted. I mean, it's horrible. I knew that they were very good institutions. I know everybody, but it was just in the back of my mind. Uh, so I had like to, to work on that, to just not freak out <laughs> that much. But it, but it does have a, 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 an impact on your life. I mean, I, I, 
I am constantly working on that uh, with, with some support. Uh, but yeah, but it, it really helps a lot also have like the family that really helped me to just go back to my, to my life and not take too much uh, those stories to, into, into my personal uh, life. But it's very hard to not have empathy uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could just imagine. But speaking of motherhood, um, <laughs> completing a PhD in itself, you know, is already a very difficult task. It's, it's already very challenging. But you did this successfully while also raising a family. And even with this pandemic, I'm sure it's even more challenging. And how did you navigate through these phases in your academic and, you know, how did you navigate these phases in your academic and personal lives? It has been such a challenge. Uh, it was already, as you said, a big challenge to have a PhD uh, with all these stress and you always try to get the best of you because uh, in a way we are very perfectionist. I, I am perfectionist. So I, I have to work a lot on how I was um, kind of structuring and uh, kind of uh, prioritizing my work and try to not be so hard on myself. Uh, so a lot of um, having like a very clear schedule, uh, manage my time and because time and, and energy is limited. So I had to had a very structured schedule for working. Uh, so for instance, my when we were PhD students, my husband and I, uh, well, Eric. <laughs> I know uh, Eric. Yes. 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 Hi, yes. Eric. <laughs> because I never call him husband. It's always Eric. Eric, yes. <laughs> uh, he he worked in the morning, like for instance, from eight to two, and then uh, we swapped. So from two to eight, I was working on the thesis or seven. Um, even though I had some breaks for breastfeeding. Um, but that helped me a lot for have this just time and space for sitting down, focus and work. And also like to make a kind of a weekly to-do list. So trying to prioritize my work. Like for instance, I have to focus on developing this section of chapter three and I will not, I will not change it. I will not jump to chapter five that I like more. I will finish this one. So just try to prioritize um, certain parts that I had to put more effort and, and also try to break like these large tasks into smaller parts because I felt like all the time I was a little bit overwhelmed by the wholeness of um, the, how big it is a, a thesis. Uh, so I, I was like, oh my God, how I'm going to do it. So just breaking it and be more aware of this, of how I break it and how I will build this thesis through build, like to putting these small parts and blocks of work. Um, it's going to be more helpful than if I just try to get everything done in a, in a minute or in, the, in that time. Uh, and also trying to, to put more clear sets and more realistic sets and goals, uh, sets, uh, set goals and deadlines, um, especially for, uh, for, for working more uh, in a more constructive way with my, with my supervisor, 
So I had like these realistic timeframes. So probably instead of working one month in a chapter, I took three months. Um, but in those three months, I was really working on it. And when I finished, I sent it to my supervisor. She knew my times and she was very supportive and she provided the feedback. And she was like, no, just work on that feedback. Don't go to something else. Just wait, wait, I'll be very fast. I'll give you the feedback and go back to it and try to be like very uh, to focus and concentrate in this task. And I think like having, I mean, I mean, my supervisor was amazing. Um, her name is Dr. Cecilia Jacob. I mean, she has such a, she's an excellent academic. She's also a mom. And I think that she had a lot of empathy towards me and that helped me a lot to be able to achieve all my, 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 my goals and be able to finish the, the thesis. Because sometimes when I couldn't work, she was emailing me like, how are you, Anna? How are you doing? Uh, what's happening? So she was, I always felt like she was taking care of, taking care of me also and of my work. So I really, really appreciate that of her. That was very, very nice that I felt like, yeah, very supported. And also with all these, uh, with these very beautiful and beautiful network that I had of friends in Australia that uh, provide a lot of support um, while doing the PhD and raising my first child. Uh, because sometimes you just can't, uh, I don't know, sometimes you have your, some milestones that you have to do, like the, the final presentation of the thesis or the other ones, the midterm of the, or the presentation of the, of the thesis proposal. And you cannot go with your child. And sometimes Eric was doing other important things at the same time. So we had to rely in this network of friends to, to help us with, with, with Liliana. And that was very, oh, it was amazing. And, and also to share our, uh, how we were feeling, our common um, worrying, how worried we were about doing the PhD with children, because I also had friends uh, doing the same. So in a PhD and having children. So that provide me a lot of connection and a lot of, um, uh, they all, they pushed me a lot to follow what I was doing because they were in the same. So I was probably sometimes freaking out like, oh, how I'm going to do the final presentation. Liliana has been teething and she's not sleeping for this whole week. How I'm going to present if my presentation is tomorrow. And mainly it's because sometimes we are comparing to peers that doesn't have children or are married. And uh, yes, I, I always fail, I felt a little bit behind. Um, yeah, so I kind of had to work a lot on that of, no, I'm doing what I can and I'm doing my best and just try to push myself harder. And as a friend told me that she also had a baby, she told me like, and if you survive like, a, a childbirth, you can survive the thesis presentation and you'll be all right. So chill, don't worry. <laughs> exactly right. So you already survived one of the most, probably the most difficult part. And then what more for a, you know, just a presentation. <laughs> so why did you do your PhD in Australia? 
I decided to do my PhD in Australia because of the international excellency, of course, of the Australian National University. And, and also because I was inspired by the academic work of uh, several researchers from ANU, like Dr. Bina da Costa, that she does research on war babies in, uh, 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 from the War of Liberation in, of Bangladesh and also uh, through the partition of India. And also she worked a lot with children and armed conflict. And also with, um, with Dr. Katrina Liku, uh, that does research on feminist and IR, and, and also children. And Dr. Cecilia Jacob, uh, that she focused a lot on, uh, on children and armed conflict and issues around security. Um, so for me, it was like a very important uh, university that had all the things that I was very interested. So they had uh, someone very, uh, some, uh, a specialist on child born of war, a specialist on, on feminism and gender and on childhood uh, and armed conflict. So for me, it was like the best place. And, and also for, for Eric, it was, um, he also was interested in doing the PhD. And he also had um, a lot of people that he was very interested in work, work with them. Um, but also the most important reason was that uh, Eric and I were accepted at the same time at ANU in the PhD program. And also we both got, uh, got the scholarship. So that was something very hard to get, but it was the only place that we could um, merge these, these interests together. Uh, because we try in, in the US before and also in the UK, but sometimes uh, I was accepted and he wasn't or the other way around or we didn't got the scholarship. So it was, it was very hard, uh, but I think it was the best place. And uh, I, we love Canberra. We, we were so sad when we moved out from that beautiful city and um, and also we were, we were very clear that we didn't want it to be separate from each other. Uh, we wanted to, yes, to be together in this PhD journey. And I think that was the best decision for us because this journey can be very lonely, very hard, very challenging. Uh, and having each other going through the same things helped a lot because we understood how the other was feeling and we had more empathy and really helped us to grow more as a couple and also individually. Uh, and also it made the path more enjoyable and more smooth. And yeah, we, we love it. It's really nice to see. And also re really um, maybe fortunate that uh, you were able to do this together in Canberra. And what I learned from you is the importance of having that decision from the very beginning not to be apart and be together. <laughs> and also when you shared your, how your strategies on complete, completing your PhD while you know raising a family, what I learned there is you have to be focused, you have to have strict schedule and stick to it. And the importance of community support, the support of your supervisors, the support of yeah. your friends, family, and even Eric. So, so you have this uh, social support. I'm wondering, um, 
if academic institutions themselves are also helping scholars, you know, who are juggling this family responsibilities while also meeting the already difficult demands of an academic life. What can you say about that? Well, I, I think I can say that I was fortunate because um, attending you in the political and social change department, uh, they provide me a lot of support. They were very um, understanding of my situation. They allow me to take Liana to my, to my office. So I just set like a small baby station there. I put like a play gym and some toys and uh, a friend that also had a baby and I shared the same office. So we try to manage our times in the office to work with a baby in there. So uh, we were using all the space like just uh, for certain parts of the day. And this is something that the, that the department allows us to do because in some other departments, they don't want children in there. And, and I mean, sometimes uh, my daughter was crying like <laughs> at 4 p.m. and she was like really crying and very loud. And I went outside, but sometimes you could listen a little bit and nobody ever said something. They were very caring and they were visiting me sometimes to see also Liana and see how she was doing. Uh, so I had a very friendly uh, space. And I mean, I didn't took her to the seminars because I felt like that was probably just too much. <laughs> but to a small meetings about my, uh, I don't know, my development or how I was doing in the, in the, in the PhD program with my supervisor or the chair, um, I was allowed to take her and just, yeah. So that was very, uh, it was a very friendly space. Uh, comparing to other places that I have known. It's quite um, disappointing to know that this is not a university-wide thing or this is not something that happens across institutions. I mean, Japan is also not, it's also not perfect. So there are many yes, things that yes, we also yes. need to improve on that. Improve. And, and actually that's, um, I would like just to finally, like to very fast add uh, that, um, a lot of these institutions uh, sometimes are also living like if you get a, a sometimes accept uh, accept that they give you like the job opportunity. I mean, in some of them, I don't want to be like this is very bad. No, no, no. Of course, um, sometimes you get a lot of uh, of the teaching workload, so your research part gets uh, not very. Uh, you cannot do too much because you're very focused on the teaching part. And that's, well, that's also part of the big problem and the discrimination that you face if you get accepted sometimes. I mean, I don't want to be negative because I'm very positive. I just want like, to show a little bit of, the, of, of, of a map, a very general map. Um, however, I want to say that I, I follow... Um, in Twitter, some of also of my inspirations are other moms and PhD students and academic moms. Uh, they have some uh, very interesting threads in Twitter. Uh, so sometimes they share their personal stories and how they feel, how something happened that was very challenging uh, 
in, in, in their academic and personal life with, with children. So uh, it's a lot of inspiration and, and it gives you a lot of this beautiful energy of, of, and mindset of saying, I can do it. I feel very encouraged and I can connect with these, with these other parents and people who are caring for others, as you said, in academia. So that's very, um, that's very important. Before we end, I'm, I'm, I know I'm already taking so much of your time. Right. Any... It's a pleasure to be able <laughs> like, to talk to you and yeah, be part of this project. It's just amazing. Uh, any final remarks for our audience? I would like to say that um, this uh, situation in which I am of having uh, a, young, a young family uh, raising my, my very young children. Uh, it's, uh, it's an inspiration also for my work. So instead of, I don't know, fighting to just get them on a side, I try to include them. So one of the projects that I'm thinking about is um, to doing now as part of my future paths in my of my of academic of my academic life and research is to start doing research on the people who cares for others not only on motherhood but um uh because i have uh, also a lot of um academic and phd students and friends that were in the same situation so we were thinking and how to connect with all our experiences because in in a way all of us are carrying someone else so how to connect from our own situation and kind of reflect about what has what has mean or what has meant to take care of others especially in the context of the academia mm -hmm. um, right now it's not very workout because i don't have too much uh, too much time as I just had a baby six months ago <laughs> but um, that's one of the things that I want to continue researching so try to include all these experiences that I'm having and include my family in my work for an inspiration and I look forward to that I mean I think that would be a great collective story caring responsibilities especially in this pandemic times um, there's yeah. more caring responsibilities so if you push through that project I would love to hear from uh, those stories and I'm sure you're not you're the first one who's um, sharing us this story of um, uh, navigating academic and personal lives while raising mm -hmm. a family but um, I'm really excited to hear more about uh, this kinds of inspiring and beautiful stories so thank you oh, Anna thank for you your so time yeah and it was such a really nice uh, moment to talk to you thank you for listening to this episode please consider leaving a comment or rating at iTunes or any of your preferred podcast hosting platforms for details about upcoming episodes and how to support the Scholars Unbound project, visit daliasimangan.com slash scholarsunbound with the link in our show notes.